Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello, everyone. It's been a while since I've done one of these Ask Me Anything episodes. I really actually quite forgot that I was doing these as part of the format. They're episodes where we come in close and get a bit intimate and granular. I've been on the road now for I think about two months and I haven't been so great at getting back on DMs and questions on the various platforms. So I apologize, but this is my way of making up for things. I figured we could do it here. So I sent out the invite for all of you to send in your questions across Substack and Instagram. Thank you so much for that. I can see that I've been covering off some very big, hefty topics on this podcast over the last couple of months, and I can see that it's prompted some extra need to pause and discuss and have a a sort of a more intimate conversation. So as I say, it works like this. I send out the invite, a whole bunch of you sent in your questions, and I'm not going to get to all of them, but I think Liana has collated them in such a way that we get to the general vibe of all the questions that have been asked. Now, this episode is a bit different because I'm currently in London in the middle of a heat wave and it is legitimately hot here in London. I think it's 36 or 37 degrees outside. And I'm staying with a very dear friend of mine, Melissa Hemsley, who I met, gosh, I think it must have been seven or eight years ago. Melissa, welcome to Wild. Thank you very much for having me. Um, it's lovely to sit on the floor with you. I know, we're sitting on the floor in Melissa's spare bedroom. And I should flag that I'm great with heat. I absolutely love it. Melissa hates it. So we've turned off all the fans and everything. So we'll see how long you last with all of these questions. But I've asked Melissa to read out the questions. I like to answer them sort of without warning. Like I don't like to read them too deeply or formulate my answers. So Melissa's kindly going to go through your questions, read them out one by one. I should also say Melissa is a bit of a national treasure here in the UK. (laughs) She's written a whole bunch of cookbooks and really puts so much of her efforts these days into doing food projects that are geared towards humanitarian crises. And everything you do, you try to leverage in the direction of raising money or awareness or even just pure food for those in need. And I just love that layering. There's a few of you that work in that space here, and it's so nice to see Melissa's also introduced me to some of my favorite humans on the planet. 
I'll put all the names of these people actually in the show notes because they're wonderful humans. Susan Jane White, she's a cookbook author. She's a food writer based in Dublin in Ireland, mad as anything. Her emails are just a delight. And you sent me to her and said, you just need to go to Ireland, be with her. She said, yes, come, I'm going to make CBD brownies and I'll pick you up from the airport and I'll light the fire and then we're going to swim in the Irish Sea. None of which made sense, but we did it all. The Happy Pair, also down in Ireland, they're mad and beautiful humans. Follow them on Instagram. It's a riot. Fern Cotton you introduced me to. And also Tim from Clark and Wellboy. If you are traveling anywhere in the world pretty much and want food recommendations, he is the guy and does a lot of projects with you. Cook for Syria, cook for Ukraine. Yeah. And and Tim will always shout out the people that don't even have Instagram, the small family businesses that yeah. we should be supporting. Absolutely. So that's a bit of background as to why and how we know each other and why I just love you so much. Can I say one thing? You greatly inspire me. I thought of you when I set up my live events, the sustainability sessions just before the, the big P and I'm going to be relaunching them. And obviously you'll be my star guest, I hope. Let's hope so. Well, listen, we're not going to bore you no, with a love let's fest let's go to your here. questions. Okay, thanks for your questions, guys. We're going to start off with Kelly Barclays. Kelly Barclay asks, I'm curious how you navigate the balance between traveling and also being a foster carer. How do you manage this desire to care and foster along with your desire to travel and be free? Kelly is genuinely curious and she also works in this industry. So she'd like to know more about how you balance it. Oh God, how pertinent is that? It's something I'm going through at the moment. So I foster Indigenous children in Australia, mostly respite emergency care, which is a wonderful way to do it. So basically when kids are having a hard time at their current foster home or their foster parents are exhausted, they're sent to me and they spend a weekend or some school holidays time with me. The same kid will stay with me for several months at a time. Often what happens, as you know, Melissa, I then get asked if I can become the full-time carer for these kids, generally because they're at a juncture where they're having a really tough time. The home that they're in is not working out for them. So funnily enough, I've been asked to take on a little eight-year-old. She's a life delight. I adore her. She's so much fun. I've been asked to take her on full-time just as I've been contemplating basing myself over here in Europe because I feel I can get more of my work done here. I feel there's a more receptive audience. I'm going to be very honest here with the Australians listening. I feel I get a lot more, yeah, reception, engagement when I'm in Europe. I feel very alone with my ideas and the way I live my life in Australia. Some people might call it the tall poppy syndrome. We had a big talk about that last night with Tim, who in fact is Australian originally. But I'm in that space at the moment. There is no easy way to manage it. And really, when you take on a kid, you've got to take them on full time. The last little one that I had, she was 16. I had her for nine months throughout the pandemic. So we were 24-7 locked in a house together. We got on super well. She reached an age where she didn't want to be in the foster system anymore and wanted to go out on her own. And we're still in touch. So look, I don't have an answer yet to that one, but I hope that me explaining that gives everybody a bit of an insight into how fostering works. I'm just going to throw this in as well. There are 40,000 foster kids in Australia. Half of them are Indigenous. They are all the sort of culmination of a horrible stolen generation history and legacy. And um, really the foster system works not dissimilarly to the entire stolen generation mindset. And so, yes, I feel complicit. I feel I'm in it. I'm a white woman looking after these kids, but that's where the greatest need is. 
There's a lot of sensitivities in terms of ensuring that they have connection to kin and land that you've got to take on, but I can't recommend it enough. They are desperate for carers. So yeah, I'm just using that as a bit of a community announcement. That's fantastic. And Kelly is in also uh, in the foster care. She so gets it. hats off to you, Kelly. Thank you. There are some questions which are, you know, I'm desperate to know the answer to this one. We're, we're going to talk about Sarah's energy when she's not feeling her sparkly best. Leonie asks, Sarah, how do you manage your energy? You seem to get so much done, but we also hear about when your autoimmune disease takes you out. Leonie is coming back from surgery. She's just so damn tired all the time. Hope you're recovering well, Leonie. And she'd like some advice on that. She's feeling guilty. This is an interesting one for not being more effective. And Zeti Brake asks, how do you keep going? She also has Hashimoto's. She feels like the world is not for me. Yeah, I get that. Hashimoto's, that's almost a symptom of it. You can get so overwhelmed and exhausted and depressed. Again, it's a quandary, but I've also got to say, Leonie, and what is it? Zeti. Zeti. Uh, it's a choice that I make. I could stay in a in the de-energized space and live out my 80 something years or I could choose to live as I want to live and be exhausted and deal with it best I can. The sweet spot, I suppose, the trick, the secret that I've found that enables me to do both, to be unwell chronically unwell and live a great life. And it's this thesis that I explore in First We Make the Beast Beautiful. I say we can be anxious and we can have a great life. We don't have to fix our anxiety and then life will get great. And I sort of start the book out with that. The way I can do that, what enables me, my little secret is nature. So, so much of what brings me joy is out in nature, but it also happens to be the place, the thing, the whole chemical setup that actually brings me the energy I need. It energizes me, not saps me. Now I get it wrong. I go too hard. My brothers call me a Kelpie because I will go and go and go and then I will collapse. Like, And as you know, I, I'll lose um, my eyesight, my hearing goes, and that's when I know I've got to really stop because then it will move to my organs and I'll have lots of problems and it'll take ages to recover. But as I say, it is a choice. And I also do think that a certain mindset begets certain results. So I choose to live a wild, free, unencumbered life. And I feel that when I live that way, then my body responds to that and it stays as healthy as it probably could be. I've been overseas now for almost two months, I think. I have been on the go and I've been hiking hard. I've been sleeping in weird beds and scenarios and cupboards and bathroom floors and, you know, all over the place. I've never felt stronger. Now I do land in a heap, but that's the price I pay. Now that's not how everybody can do it. And it's taken me years of working out the right vitamins and mineral supplements and so on that I need to do. I've got to keep an eye on my diet. I veer off gluten and sugar. I just have to eliminate them when I get to this point. And I only have to do it for two or three days and then I'm fine again. You know, essentially my happiness and my sense of freedom and unencumberedness, that is the best salve for my autoimmune disease and my anxiety. If I can just keep that flow going, the thing that could cause me problems is actually also the thing that elevates me into best health. Salve, Sarah's salve. And it's a subtlety. You, it's, it, you, you can do it artfully. And so rather than going either this or that, I've either got to be resting and, and being denied my full life or I go hard and collapse in heaps. There's somewhere in between 
there's a I I guess I dedicate my life to finding the artfulness. Mm-hmm. It's how you do things, not so much what you do, mm. if that makes sense. You're very good observing spending 24 hours with you. You were very good yesterday. You said to me, I haven't had any fruit today and I need some fruit. And you were like popping that fruit in. And then you said, you're in the middle of working, typing furiously. And then you went, I need to lie down for 10 minutes. And then off you went. So you were really good at tuning in to what your body needed. Yeah. My mind's always going, well, I only have 10 minutes before, before, you know, we had some people coming Mm. over for dinner and so I'll do it and I'll do it in a portaloo, you know, like I'll rest and just lie there and just, or sit there and do a quick meditation. You know, it's not perfection. I think people try to find the perfect place to meditate, the perfect health balance, the perfect or whatever. I just, I just want to get on with life. And also I'm past halfway through my life. This is not a run-up. This is the real thing. Live like I want to live and we'll see how everything else pans out. We've got a whole load of climate despair questions. We've Mm. got Justin from Newcastle. Thanks, Justin. How do you honestly believe we'll avoid climate catastrophe? And... We've got Jane from Project Handmade. And how do you stay hopeful? she's in Sweden, actually. Ah. Jane often um, comments on Instagram posts, especially climate ones. Oh, we've got some regulars here, have we? Yeah, Yeah, Jane says, how do you stay hopeful? She feels she's close to giving up and just wants to enjoy the last normal years. Oh, God, I understand, Jane. Nicola Gould. Hi, Nicola. I just watched Planet of Humans and feeling very deflated. Is there truly no answer? How do you feel about electric cars, solar, etc.? When fossil fuels are used to make these things, also the longevity of batteries, etc., aren't great. Is it still worth it? Got it. They're really awesome questions. So Jane's point about do we keep fighting? It's a little bit like, say, if you've been given a cancer diagnosis, do you keep going and getting treatment, which ruins your quality of life? Or do you try to just enjoy the last years that you have with loved ones without all the the treatments that, you know, leave you sick? Again, it's a little bit of both. I think that if you live in a way where you thoroughly enjoy what matters in life, and quite often, Melissa, at the end of this podcast, when I speak to big philosophers who are in this space, I will ask them this question, what is left if we lose it all? If we experience the existential you know, crisis that has been presented to us and we've been warned about for many years, then how do we want to live our life in the meantime? And the funny thing is, is if you, the things that people generally answer with are the very things that could then save us. So it's not like, again, an either or an all. It's all of it and it all leads to the same thing, the same outcome, which is true human flourishing. And I'll flag that I've just done an interview with one of the world experts in existential risk, and we do cover off a perspective on all of this, which I think has provided me with the most hopeful path that I've heard in a long time. So I won't jump ahead with that, but Nicola's question to jump to that, which is quite specific, it's talking about the fact that, well, we may have left it too late. And also that all of these solutions require so much energy and resources and waste to produce. And so are we just going around in circles and creating more of the same problem? Well, I would say to that effect, I think we need to be mindful of all of that. And so I did an episode with Saul Griffith about electrify everything. And that means next time your stove, you need to replace a stove. Don't go gas, switch to electric, induction, etc. Hot water systems. If you're building a new house or if you have to replace your water, electric, not gas. And ditto with a car. But that's not to say go and get rid of your current car and replace it. 
with electric. We need to not waste those resources in that particular way. While ever we can keep the demand moving in that direction, we then step up the demand for renewable energy, etc., and it all starts to cascade in the right direction. I think there's incredible hope. A recent episode I did with David Wallace-Wells shows that all the work that we've put into switching to renewables has actually brought the forecasts down from an absolutely dire five, six, potentially seven degrees warming to what will probably be somewhere between two and three degrees Celsius by the end of this decade. So it has been worth century. it. Now, it's not the ideal outcome because it needs to be under 1.5, but look how much progress we've made in really five, 10 years. That's where the progress has been made. And it's because consumers have not given up hope and renewables have become affordable because we switched the demand supply equation. So I honestly believe the worst thing we can do is despair. And I will just say, I encounter a lot of climate arguments on this trip. I've actually been invited by people to sit down with their husbands over dinner and to essentially give them the facts, which is not my favourite thing to do, but it generally goes like this. They'll rattle off their denialist arguments and then I'll calmly present them with the fact that this is not up for, you know, it's not up for discussion or for debate. It's gold standard science really that is possible on this planet right now says it's happening and it's caused by humans and we need to change our ways. Once I get to that point, it very quickly switches to doomism. So the denialist movement now is in the doomist space and the doomist says, oh, well, there's no point doing anything yeah, look, it's gone too far. We're stuffed. So let's just be nihilistic. Let's be hedonistic and just kind of what's the point? Let's just go and drive our four wheel drives and just live as we have have been. And that I think is as destructive, if not more so than denialism. It's a lot more seductive because humans will do that. We will do that in the absence of really great leadership that goes, no, no, no. Fighting is what it's all about. Let's fight because it's meaningful. And then as a result, that then has the double whammy effect once again, which is, oh, and then it'll actually produce results. We'll actually see the dial shift. So please, anyone feeling despair and wanting to know a way forward, even if it's an emotional, spiritual way, please feel a responsibility on behalf of the movement to not get sucked into that doomist mindset. It's a bit like Coke trying to tell us a whole bunch of messages around sugar, you know, for for decades. It's a bit like the fossil fuel industry is trying to tell us a whole bunch of things for 30 years and we got sucked into it. Now the fossil fuel companies are doing this. They're trying to tell us there's no hope. So don't buy into it. Feel enlivened by the responsibility of not being a doomist, not being a despairer. So that's a bit of a waffly answer. I think that it's not a perfect scenario but we are going to have to keep up the human spirit because for me, that is worth preserving. We can't have the human species wipe itself out in the next 80 years as a result of bad leadership that enabled our worst individualistic tendencies to run rampant when we have an entire several hundred thousand years of history where we put in place measures, really good measures to ensure when individualism went too far, we swung back to the communal once again. That's where we're at in history and we have to respond to it in that manner. We need to put the structures, the mindset, the discussion points back in around the collective spirit because that is what defines humanity. Gemma in the UN country. Should the starting and ending age for voting in Australia be changed? Can students learn more about voting in politics? Could this foster an informed society? 
Okay, that's a quick one. There's a discussion going on in various places in the world, but in Australia, it's reared its head again post um, the recent election to bring the compulsory voting age, because we have compulsory voting in Australia. It's quite specific. Bringing it down to 16 or even enabling 16 to 18-year-olds the choice to vote. It's not compulsory, but they can choose to. I think that that is a healthy debate to have. And I personally believe that why not? Why not give 16-year-olds who have a very vested interest in the future, give them the option to vote from the age of 16? I mean, they get given the responsibilities to pay tax, to go to jail. They were able to sort of start looking towards getting a driver's license, all of that kind of thing at that age. So they're expected to take on certain adult responsibilities. Why not give them that option? Um, so yes, that would be a yes from me if it came down to some kind of referendum. I'm not sure that it will, but um, yeah. Fantastic. Brooke Webb asks, Sarah, what beauty products do you use? And can you be candid about whether that involves fillers slash Botox? I often look at your beautiful complexion, especially when traveling and you look amazing. Okay. No, I don't use any of the fillers, Botox stuff. I did get Botox in my jaw to deal with clenched teeth, grinding at night. Didn't do a thing. I've always been, I've used the same thing for years. I use Yehoba oil, Australian Yehoba oil as a cleanser, but also as my moisturizer. And then I'll also use a little bit of rosehip oil. I don't find it as effective. That is what happens to work for my skin. It's a very simple product, one ingredient. It's cheap. You buy it in chemists. It's an Australian product. Yeah, that's what I travel with. That's what I use for everything. I don't do chemicals. I honestly think that all the chemicals, whether it's filler, whether it's complex creams, I think they age the skin. If you're interested, I think on my website, sarahwilson.com, there's a little panel to the side where I have a little buy Sarah's makeup and it's all organic. My lipstick and my cheek stuff is made with beetroot powder mixed in with carrot oil. My mascara is made out of jojoba oil and charcoal. And the foundation is made with rice powder and it has got some SPF in it. Will your toothpaste be on your Sarah Loves because you've got great teeth and I always find toothpaste a hard one. Oh, I've got, I haven't got great teeth at all. Like they're pretty yellow. I drink a lot of coffee and red wine and (laughs) turmeric. And beetroot. And beetroot. You're right. All All those things. Good, healthy, strong teeth. I also think, I'm going to be really honest, when you're on Instagram and you do a selfie, there's some kind of filter that just magically drops into things. I just think you look slimmer and your teeth go whiter. Who who asked that question, Brooke Melissa? Wants to know. Brooke, Brooke, I think it's a little bit smoke and mirrors, mm. but also I do exercise. So maybe I'm out there hiking, I've got colour in my cheeks, I've got oxygen going through my system. I also think that Hashimoto's, now this is an interesting one, Hashimoto's is very much based around your face, all the inflammation, it's, you know, it's pivots from a little point at the base of your throat. My grandmother was the same. She had very bad Hashimoto's and she had very good skin. The rest of my family do not have good skin. And I'm wondering, my immune system protects my skin in some sort of way as it's trying to fight its way to, you know, look after my thyroid. So, I keep it simple and I really recommend it. I think I've got reasonably good skin for my age. I'm 48, edging towards 49. And I think I've managed to sort of keep it pretty good because I don't put shit on it. Mm. So Simplicity on the skin. Mm. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Charlotte Louise Horn, I ran into you in Camden on Sunday. I really appreciate you taking the time to entertain my fangirling. She's got a question for you. She also hosts her own podcast. Her question is, what does being mean to you? B-E-I-N-G, being. That's it. Being, and I presume you're after some sort of philosophical answer, being for me is actually embracing, accepting, riding with and learning to find ways to ride with the experience of the messiness of being human. So it's it's that dance, I keep using a sort of similar terminology, between all the things, all of the things, all of the emotions, the bad days, all of that kind of thing and accepting it, not rejecting or resisting the days where you're in pain, where you're exhausted, where you're sort of, things are jarring. You know, I have lots of jarring days you know, where I'm inflamed. And being is accepting that that all is just part of the human experience. And sometimes it's like, get over yourself. Like it's not meant to be perfect. 200 years ago, I think it was, 75% of the world was enslaved you know, to live, to be on this planet as a human meant if you got a tooth infection, you were in absolute abject pain, you know, and you would lose your teeth and you'd have these foul smells. And so we have always had to be by riding out everything, riding out all of the experiences. And I think a lot of why we miss out on being today is because we try to shut down the the messy things, the awkward things. We eliminate those bits. I use this example on a podcast I did with a British comedian while I was here in London that we'd have a shortcut culture. We used to date and we'd put up with all the awkwardness and the, you know, I don't know, wondering if they're going to turn up, wondering if they like you. And then the experience in the end is all the better when there's this relief that you both know you've gone through it all. And the contrast of the love or the connection that can happen from all of that awkwardness, that beingness, is what makes it so beautiful. But today we do online dating where we eliminate all of that. We ghost, we avoid the confrontation. We don't turn up to dates. I mean, my God, how many dates have I shown up to and the dude just didn't show up? Many, many, but that's for another another discussion. We don't have messy sex, or at least some of us don't. Messy sex with all the noises and bodily functions and the, oh my goodness, the fear and the, the vulnerability. You know, the vulnerability. So many younger people in particular are turning to porn, where you can just have the sex bit without the all the work and the all of itness. And there's so many examples, so many examples. Food's the same, but just in general, we we basically avoid discomfort at every turn. So yeah, that's what being is to me, is to enjoy the all of itness. 
That is a great question and a fantastic answer. We're moving into the rapid fire section. Oh, Ready great. for some rapid fire? I think these might have actually come from Liana put up a last minute Instagram stories thing. So I think they might be short little ones from mm, people. Okay. But yes, we'll go we'll it. go rapid, we'll go fiery. Steph Cox, how to keep children hopeful when it comes to climate anxiety, please. Be hopeful yourself and live it like it's not a big deal. It's the same thing I said with sugar, Melissa. Like, don't make it a big deal. Just don't eat the sugar yourself and don't stigmatize it at the same time. Ignatia Alchenio. Nice. Have you tried mushrooms to deal with anxiety and depression? Well, I have to be very careful here because it's illegal in Australia. But fuck it, yes. <laughs> Rapid yes. fire answer. But via somebody who has um, done formulations that um, very much have been helping me with my obsessive compulsive disorder, and it's made a very big difference. Very much worth looking into, and I'm following a lot of the science. A number of the universities, I think Monash University and the University of Western Australia, are doing trials at the moment with psilocybin to treat different types of anxiety and depression. So very legit science behind it. Michael Pollan, obviously the big voice in this area. Really, I needed to try it for myself to be able to answer questions like this. And perhaps I'll answer it more fully at an appropriate time where I'm, I'm able to. Kelsey Olsen says, please, can you talk about the balance between focusing inward and focusing outward? Oh, yes. Well, that's the dance again, isn't it? And being artful. We've got two forces. We've got the distractions of tech and capitalism dragging us outwards. Outwards is frenetic. Outwards is frantic, fast moving, and essentially very deliberately in the case of some of the corporate interests, drag us away from having the discussions and solving the problems that we need to. And in fact, you know, all of that QAnon stuff, a lot of the conspiracy theories that came out of the Russian factories, you know, the conspiracy factories, why do they do it? We might all be asking. It's essentially to distract us. If you can distract an enemy, then they are left vulnerable to all kinds of civil wars, unrest, disruption politically, etc. So at an individual level, we've got to be very wary of that. The inward thing though, at the same time, is a little problematic in our culture, I feel. And that is because I think this whole notion of self-help has again been appropriated where we've got rid of the hard work bits, the messy bits, and we just take the love and light and the candles and the drumming circles and the sound baths. It's selfish, Melissa. You and I observe this kind of thing around us, right? Because mm. we've both worked in the wellness industries where it's actually become a way for really elite indulged people to cocoon themselves from realities. So both the going outward and the going inward can be destructive in the same way because they stop us from going to the hard places that we need to go to. So really you've got to sort of do both. And like you said, I will take a 10 minute rest, but why do I do it? Not to avoid, not to cocoon myself, not to stick my head in the sand. I mean, maybe at times I do, but ultimately I try to check myself and go, nope, it's so that I can go back out and do good work. And it's the monk who comes down from the mountain. He could stay out there meditating for years on end. Great. But you've got to come down to the village and actually share the wisdom and the openness and expansiveness. Like otherwise, what's the freaking point? So nobody knows the perfect formula for going inwards and outwards. But I would say that if you could put it through the lens of, am I being of service to the human experience? And then that will actually be the determiner of you've, if you've gone too far out or too far in. Not that I'm the sole expert on such a matter, but that's how I I like hearing you do it. work out in your brain. I, I feel similar. 
It's Nicola Gould again. Hi, Nicola. Uh, I also want to know this answer. Could you please, Sarah, do another post on your packing for your current trip? Nicola loves your tips and ideas. As somebody who is currently housing Sarah Wilson's packing, she is an absolute uh, genius to give us your tips on how to pack, especially at the moment when if you choose to travel, you definitely are losing your luggage left, right and centre. Oh, you really do need to travel with carry-on. I've got a suitcase for this trip. It's the first time I've done it because I've had podcasting equipment. I also had some medication I had to bring. I regret it, actually. I didn't need it. It literally has followed me around and I've weighed you down. Clothes. I mean, I've put a load of washing on in your mm. machine and it's really what I've worn for probably four weeks. And it's weighed me down. It's getting in the way. And, it, yeah, I've got to move on to another place. And literally I'm just packing my normal day pack as I normally would because there's a very good chance luggage won't turn up. So I will do that separately. I'll do something on Substack that goes Fantastic. into detail there. Fantastic. Yep. Katie Howes, how do you make new friends as a single adult woman? Well, Melissa, well, you're not a single woman, but you're an adult. <laughs> <laughs> um, how do I do it? I allow myself to be scared. I also take on, oh God, there's so many things I have to say. I know the dilemma. Actually, you know what I'd say? I would actually say as a single woman in a foreign country, it is far easier to reach out because I think other people really respond to the vulnerability. I'm nowhere near as vulnerable as I think people might think I am when I'm sitting alone in a cafe or at a bar, but I probably exploit it a little because I know the person behind the bar will talk to me. I know that the sort of elderly couple eating their dinner mm. will respond to my joke about how they share their meal and I thought it was cute or whatever it is. And I suppose Instagram is also an incredible thing because you meet people, you start to follow them and you might share a few comments. And I have developed incredibly intimate relationships with people via Instagram. Then when I go to meet them in real life, it's quite, it's really wonderful. I mean, a lot of our relationship has been on Instagram, hasn't it? It has, yeah. And supporting each other through comments or just bearing witness to each other's lives. We were talking last night about how you smile at people. Oh, yeah. I love that doing that. Friend. I love doing that, especially in England where you really do have to smile first, huh. but then the Brits will really respond. Like they're relieved to have had somebody go first. Yes, you have to go first, mm. I think, After when you. you're on. Yeah. <laughs> After you. But in terms of giving a smile or breaking that sort of vulnerability space, and look, Brene Brown talks about this, you know, about going first, be the person who goes first. I wasn't always good at it because I'm naturally introverted. I run out of energy around people and I was a very shy child, but I became good at it. And the more you do it, you get feedback from the universe. I suppose... Yeah. How have I met other people? Dating apps. You know, you see the conversations I have. I'm constantly responding or having phone calls with people I've met on dating apps. And not all of them are people that have ended up in romantic interludes. Some of them have just become great friends, you know, and wonderful people in my life. But I also do feed the relationships in absence. Like during COVID, I stayed in touch with everybody. I sent messages. I did WhatsApp chats. You and I stayed in touch. You were going through a bit of a personal rough time. So it dropped off a little, but yeah. We've caught up big time now. Yeah. I think also as an observer, because you have deep conversations and you don't fanny around with small talk, lots of us that love you as your friends, we go, gosh, you've got to meet this person. You've got to meet this person. So I think you're very open to meeting friends of friends, which sort of that cascades, doesn't it? That is very true. And you're the best at it at seeing that in me and then just 
like literally five minutes with Melissa, she's already WhatsApping about 15 people. Case in point tonight, we're having <laughs> a dinner, which was just going to be about four of us. And I can't remember who's coming now even. It's just pretty much half of London. And we're only going to cook whatever's in the fridge and needs using up. Yep, it's going to be fun. We've done that before. Last time I was here, you did the same thing with a bunch of awesome people. But I tell you another adage I have is go to where the invite is. If I'm invited and if somebody is enthused to have me in their company, I really try not to second guess it and I just go there. So when you say go to Ireland and see Susan, I had no intention of going to Ireland. I just went, right, I'm going to go. And then when Susan wrote her beautiful note, I just was like, there's the enthusiasm. Go to where the charm is, you know? Yeah. I love that. Go where the charm is. Okay. Some final quick fires. Thanks, Jeanette Hesser. Recent dating experience. Well, the most recent one was in Paris with somebody I met who saw me hiking through Jordan many years ago and just said, I think I should meet you because I think you're doing good things and I want to help you come and stay in my apartment. Um, go where the charm is. <laughs> go where the charm is. I was like, okay, we've stayed in touch for three years now. So yes, we had a date in Paris. We had breakfast in Paris while I was there. Anyway, he turned up, which says a lot more than most of my dating experiences in Australia, unfortunately. Let's go from dating to a plant-based diet. Radka007 says, have you considered converting to a plant-based diet? Yes. And I've covered this a number of times. I do eat meat. I eat far less than probably I used to. I've gradually been cutting down. With Hashimoto's, unfortunately, with my body, I find it very hard to assimilate protein from legumes and other sources. And I really get depleted if I'm not eating meat. But I think most people know that I eat meat in a very responsible way. I don't eat things like bacon. I don't eat cheap meat when I'm out. I eat mindfully prepared meat and I eat all of it. The biggest thing that we can do, you can think this and that for the environment. It's just stop the food waste. Just stop the food waste. There's no point going vegan if you're still throwing out a third of your groceries every week. Um, is there anything on the else in there? Yeah, I like um, this one. 2020 via. Yeah. How do you stop the 3 a.m. panic? Yeah, we all know that. I'll tell you though, people who wake up at 3 a.m., they generally say it's your liver. It's liver o'clock in the Vedic tradition and in Chinese medicine. And so it really comes from potentially eating very rich food or drinking too heavily at night. So I think that's one thing that, you know, if I'm starting to do 3 a.m.ers, I will really look at what my diet's doing and drinking, how much alcohol I might be drinking. But I learned to accept, and I write about this in First We Make the Beast Beautiful, I've learned to accept that if I can't sleep, it is very much my psyche needing the space to wrestle with itself. And so those lonely hours in the middle of the night where you really go through the ringer and even the going through the ringer part is all, I believe, very necessary. And of course, it gets worse when we're stressed because something is happening to us that's really important. And so we need to do the moral wrestle and doing it during the day is very hard. We don't have the time and the space. So I accept that that's the deal. A trajectory that I sort of explored in First We Make the Beast Beautiful about obsessive compulsive disorder and bipolar, I think feeds into this as well, where learning about the fact that throughout history, the same percentage of humans had these so-called dysfunctions suggests at an evolutionary level, it exists in the human race in 1.2 to 1.4% of the population as sort of an evolutionary quirk that serves a purpose, and that is to keep us alive. So, they did experiments on chimps and anyone who's read my book will remember this. Diane Fosey in the 1970s, she removed the chimps 
in the clan that exhibited OCD behavior. Very fretty, overly alert, could hear and smell everything, didn't have any mates, sat on the outskirts of the clan or whatever it is, the group. She removed them and within, it was a couple of months, the clan died out because they didn't have that sort of little safety stopgap, you know, the, the canary down the mine, mm-hmm. mine shaft. And so I find comfort in that. And then when I feel relaxed around the idea, I then get inspired to max it, to own it, to really be responsible and not let that sort of superpower disappear into oblivion. So it's almost, yeah, I use it as a way to get fired up. We have got this. This is a good one. I would love to shop at bulk food stores, but it's really expensive for my family of five. Where do you think I should start in the bulk food shop? Well, gosh, you can probably contribute to this, although you'll be answering for people living over here in England. You can shop online and bulk shopping online is not such a bad idea. I hate the idea of online shopping for small items that come randomly because the carbon miles, the packaging and everything, but bulk food places would probably be responsible and you can buy a lot and get the one parcel delivered once a month or whatever it might be. So I know Source Bulk Foods in Australia, they're the longest running bulk food place and they've got a hub, I think, up in the Northern Rivers of New South Wales. Um, So there's definitely that option. But equally, in a supermarket, you can also buy the biggest version of your rolled oats. Like they do come in one or two kilo packets. Buy everything in the biggest packet that you can including like your pulses, chickpeas and so on. They generally come in 500 or 750 gram packets. So cook, freeze, and then all you've got to do is heat them through a curry rather than cook them up each time. It's almost like having tins of of chickpeas, but in the freezer ready to go. So that's how I would do it. There's schemes all around Australia where you can buy into an animal. You know, there's these animals share schemes. Sounds brutal, but let's face it, meat is an animal where, you know, you, you basically tap into a farmer and there's five of you and you get all the bits of meat from this animal. And that's a really great way of going about things. So I'd go online and search these things. What about you, Melissa? Because you are big into this area. I, I, I know I was, your kitchen intimately. Yeah. The one thing I was just thinking about, just because we put a wash on that I find really helpful at my local refill shop, my bulk food shop is, is filling up my washing up liquid, my clothes washing stuff. I basically have gone back to soap, but if you do like to have a bit of hand wash refilling them, you are saving so much because you're saving the little nozzle, you're saving the little plunger and the bottle and your shop will surely do that. So anything you use a lot, the oats, the pasta, your washing up products. And also anything that's sort of, if you do buy in bulk, if they're pulses, if it's coffee or whatever, and you've got room in your fridge and your freezer, really try to keep them in there so that will actually stop them from going rancid. That is a big problem. People like to display their bulk items in jars on the shelf. Bad, bad idea, particularly any of the nut meals, anything with a fattiness to it, it really has to be in the fridge or the freezer um, or, and or cook it all up and, and have it in the freezer ready to go. Um, but, again, I really recommend also not bulk buying too much because it will go off, you know. But a family of, what, five kids? You should be right. So, yeah, I'd also go onto Facebook, onto local groups and ask. Everybody knows really cool veggie box setups and things like that. Everybody, every neighbourhood has a Facebook group that you could go to. We could talk about that forever. But um, Amazing questions, else? everyone. Yeah. No, that is perfect. Okay. Well, look, I 
we'll endeavor to do these AMAs a little more regularly. We'll see how it goes. Give me feedback. Um, as always, please subscribe to my podcast, please rate it and please share it. And I mentioned that I would flag some of the Instagram handles of the names of wonderful humans that Melissa has introduced me to. I will also put the link as always to my Substack newsletter where I will endeavor to do a how I pack to travel, hike, etc. sort of episode over and out. Please stay wild. I'll be home in Australia soon. Melissa, thank you so much for hosting this AMA. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.